Hello, this is Pastor John Edding. Jesus invites Peter and us to live in a world where debts are forgiven. Joseph is an example of one who lives in a world of forgiveness despite the grievous sins of his brothers against him. As someone said in last week's Bible study, You know, Joseph is a lot like Jesus. So we want to notice what it is that Joseph does today and has already done in Genesis. Who is it in my life that needs forgiveness? This is a question that we can ask ourselves. Should I forgive them? I can forgive them, but I can never forget. Forgiving others is hard. So we take our cue from Joseph, who becomes an instrument of showing God's grace. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus told a parable about forgiveness. What we want to think about today is that forgiveness is more than an act, a single act that you do. Forgiveness is actually, it's actually a world that you live in. Come again? <laughs> Forgiveness is a world that you live in. It's just the world that you live in rather than an act that you're doing and keeping track of. This parable told in today's gospel reading calls us to live in such a world, to live in a life of forgiveness. The master has invited a a guy to live in a kingdom where your debts are forgiven. Now, this guy had a, he had this huge debt, 10,000 denarii, or excuse me, 10,000 talents. So a talent is worth 6,000 denarii, and one denarius is worth one day's labor. So any math people out there? So 10,000 talents of debt is equivalent to 16,000 years of wages. So the guy says to the king, please be patient with me. I will pay it back. Yeah, right. (laughs) There's no way he could pay it back. So what's the king do? He has pity on him and he invites him to live in a world where debts are forgiven. And then the guy goes away from the king and he lives in a completely different world. A world where, a world where you pay what you owe. Because he finds another guy who owns who owes him something, and he strangles him. He says, you know, he chokes him. He says, pay me back a hundred days worth of wages. Now, this is quite understandable from a, a human perspective, and we understand where he's coming from, but he's still living in a world where you pay what you owe. So the king brings the man back and says, So you want to live in a world where you pay what you owe? Okay. Then you're going to be in prison until you can pay that debt back. 
Which kingdom do you, child of God, want to live in? The kingdom where your debts are forgiven or in a kingdom where you pay what you owe? Jesus has paid off all of your debts, all of my debts to God. And this is one of the great themes of the Gospel of Matthew. At, toward the end of Matthew, he records Jesus saying, and this is one of the main themes in Matthew 20, verse 28, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Peter, the one who asked the forgiveness question, wrote about the ransom price in his first letter. This is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. This is the ransom price. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus has paid the price. He has wiped uh, clean that slate of debt that you and I have with the blood of the lamb. The price has been paid, fully paid. I mean, no price was too great for God to buy back his beloved people. And, and David, King David, he tries to measure this forgiveness, this world of forgiveness, the extent of this forgiveness. It's, it's impossible. He, he could only describe a world of forgiveness. And we, we read this earlier in Psalm 103, and these are... Uh, this is the end of our reading, Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You know, after King David stopped, finally stopped covering up his sins, which were many, covet, coveting, uh, adultery, murder, he finally, he turned to God. He repented. And he faced a, a lifetime of consequences for his sins, according to, you know, the record. You can read about um, those consequences. But his sin was forgiven. And he would not die eternally separated from God. His sin was forgiven. And he entered God's kingdom where debts are forgiven. And you can read about this, how he felt about this in Psalm 32. Here's just the opening line of that psalm. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose, whose sin is covered. David says, it is good. It is good to live in this kingdom where debts are forgiven. You know, God's forgiveness flows from the cross to you, and it flows from the cross to you in a great flood. And this started in your baptism, 
And this is the kingdom that Jesus calls you to live in today and always. And you and I can never pay him back for what he has done for for us. Never. It is his kingdom. And he invites you to live in it rather than living in a kingdom where you pay what you owe. You're called to live in, a, in this, his kingdom of forgiveness. And remember, his kingdom of forgiveness extends as far as the east is from the west. You are forgiven, and this gives you a forgiving heart. Like God's grace. His forgiveness, that's a bit of a mystery to us. Uh, Pastor Dan Pavola wrote a book on God's forgiveness, trying to unpack what this is, his forgiveness is all about. His book is called Flowing from the Cross, Six Facets of God's Forgiveness. And he writes about, he, he has this wonderful imagery of water. He says, it's like water. It's water. It's a flood. God just drenches you with his forgiveness. And it's everywhere. It's, it's so much that your basement is flooded and your lawn toys are floating. <laughs> There's water everywhere. And then when your neighbor comes over and asks for a drink of water, are you going to say no? Joseph was ready to let that forgiveness flow to his brothers. He figuratively was ready to give them a drink from the cup of forgiveness. You have to understand that Joseph was virtually murdered by his brothers. They sold him into slavery, and they may not have actually wielded a knife, but it it was as good as killing a young man to send him to Egypt to be a slave. But Joseph, of course, did not die, and God was with him, and eventually his brothers did indeed bow down, bow down to him, and, and he did lord it over them, just as his dreams had intimated and so infuriated them in the past. You know, but back in chapter 45 of Genesis, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, he did, in fact, forgive them. And he bade them not to worry or to be angry with themselves. God had turned it out all for good, so many lives to be saved. And Joseph, he would bear no grudge. Joseph's brothers don't believe what Joseph told them or told them in in Genesis 45. It is like they took that figurative cup of of forgiveness, that cup of forgiveness from Joseph, and then they, they just poured it out on the ground. They didn't believe him. Which world were they living in? And it has something to say, too, about guilt. Guilt dies hard. And uh, they bear this guilt, which he has forgiven. And we let also our guilt of sin dominate our thinking. You know, and the disbelief of being forgiven then leaves us where? 
Well, it leaves us fearful, burdened, and despairing. I mean, our text shows Joseph's brothers ready to give themselves up as slaves. They were willing to become his slaves. They despaired so much. They are afraid of something that has not existed for some time. Joseph forgave their sins. He bears them no animus. He's not about to take God's place as their judge. And he says so. Yet here they are some time later. Now it's, uh, uh, we're looking at our text uh, from Genesis 50. Here they are sometimes later. Now Jacob, their father, has died. And they have not really ever believed Joseph's words of forgiveness. They still live in a world where one pays what one owes. And they come, fearful, begging, groveling to save their lives from the wrath of a man who had long since given it up. Joseph wept when he heard his his brother's despairing plea for mercy When our forgiveness is rejected, it's heartbreaking. We have forgiven, but we have not been believed. Those that we have forgiven live in a kingdom where where one pays what they owe. And they must pay off a debt, which you have forgiven. And maybe even forgotten about, which you don't even want to collect on. And the other, the one who harmed us, then does what? Avoids us, fears us, hates us, and we do not know why, nor can we comprehend this this anguish. But Joseph's forgiveness did not fail for not being believed. The brothers were still forgiven, and their sins did not come upon their heads. Joseph still will not take God's place as their judge. They cannot believe that your, um, his forgiveness was big enough for them. And those whom you have forgiven, sometimes they cannot believe that your forgiveness is big enough for them. And take a look at verse 17. What does Joseph do as a result? He weeps. He's in so much pain. Joseph's great pain speaks to the other vulnerability of forgiveness. It is terrible to realize that the one has not been, that one has not been believed. When you have forgiven someone and they continue to operate on the the economy of payback, score settling. And this is what the man in the parable does. He is unable to believe that his debt is forgiven. He believes that the master has only done what he asked and given him more, more time. Jesus knows this grief and stands with you in this regard. It is hard to have people you love not willing to be forgiven. What can you do? Well, you can embrace such sadness as a holy thing. In terms of forgiveness, this text suggests that forgiveness is it's a process. It's not a one-and-done sort of event. Joseph invites them. He has to continually invite them to live in a world where debts are paid, 
completely. So how does he do this? Well, he reassures them. He comforts his brothers with tangible things. He speaks kindly to them. He, he puts uh, his arms around his brothers. He assures them that he loves them despite what they have done. He knows what they have done and, and it does not stand between them. God has taken care of that sin. It is done. Joseph's brothers had sinned and they did indeed mean evil when they sold their annoying brother (laughs) into slavery in Egypt. They meant for the Egyptians to kill him so that his blood would not be on their hands, Genesis 37. It was evil that they did. But God turned even such evil to good and saved the lives of many. Joseph declares that to them. He invites them to live in this world where debts are forgiven. A life of forgiveness. And he will not stand as their divine judge, but he does stand as God's instrument of grace. He does stand in God's place. When he speaks the truth of God's assessment of the situation, God has turned their evil to good. What is? So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is looking at the sin which another has committed and recognizing that Christ has died for that. And you are forgiven, and this gives you a forgiving heart. And in fact, Jesus is calling you to forgive another person from your heart. And the forgiveness we speak is nothing other than the forgiveness that we receive. It draws the terrifying conclusion that our failure to forgive is really our failure to believe or receive that forgiveness. You see that connection then. Our ability to forgive others starts with our belief and reception of God's forgiveness for our sins, which are many, which we can never pay back. Sin does, has it, does have its consequences. But I like to think of these as protective consequences, not punitive consequences. An example of a punitive consequence might be, you know, constantly bringing up the sin. You know, have you heard that phrase? Um, forgive and forget. Some people have told me, I can forgive, but I will never forget. By the way, that's Shakespeare. That is not the Bible. So an example of a a punitive consequence might be constantly bringing up the sin. It's forgiven, you said so, but then you're constantly bringing it up, bringing up the past offense and using that as a historical sledgehammer. Remember when you did this, pow. It's kind of like reaching out. Now you've all of a sudden gone back into a different world, a world where one pays one's debts and you're starting to throttle that person. Pay what you owe. We are no longer living in a world where we are grabbing each other's throats and saying, give me the hundred denarii that you owe. So forget, forgive, and forget. That's Shakespeare. (laughs) It's not from the Bible. Instead, forgive and remember that Christ has died for it. That's sin. And the person who did it. And every time you remember it, 
you will always remember that Jesus died for that, and you can rejoice that it is no longer a problem between you and the other person. It's like water. It's a flood. It's everywhere. It drenches you with his, God drenches you with his forgiveness. It's flooded your basement. Your lawn toys are floating. There is water everywhere. And then your neighbor comes over to you and asks for a drink of water. Are you going to say no? Should I forgive this person in my life who needs forgiveness? Ask yourself, am I in the place of God? Well, when you accept Jesus' invitation to live in his kingdom where debts are forgiven, the answer is clearly, by the grace of God, yes. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.